Welcome to the Becoming More Significant podcast. And this is all about helping you to become more visible, more credible, and ultimately more profitable by becoming more significant. And you have a smorgasbord of offerings to tap into. So over 50 wonderful podcast conversations with incredibly inspiring guests, each of whom are being truly significant in the world. And they're sharing wisdom and insights that helps them to continually have an ongoing impact in the world by being ever more significant. Then I have 10 Wisdom and Insights episodes where I have captured the golden nuggets from those conversations. And in each Wisdom and Insights episode, I share from either five or six episodes, the key learnings, the insights, and the practical actions that we can all take right now to become more significant in the world. And then my third offering is some snapshots of the learning that I have been doing over the last few years. I am a learning junkie. I'm constantly keyed into audiobooks, to podcasts, to TED Talks, to online courses, to mentoring. And I'm learning so much all the time that I'm sharing with my clients. And so I want to do that through the podcast platform as well. So I will be putting together very short, probably 15, 20 minute sessions on key learnings and again, key actions that can help us all to become more focused, tap into more of our potential and make a real and lasting difference in the world. So lots to choose from. And thank you so many of you for supporting the podcast over the last couple of years. It's been great to have you on board. And long may you continue to tap into the wisdom and gems of the Becoming More Significant podcast. Wherever you are today, I hope you're shining brightly. Have a great day. So my guest today on the Becoming More Significant podcast is the exceptional Sean Foley. Welcome, Sean. Oh, thank you, Sylvia. Exceptional. Love it. Thank you. Indeed. You've got to live, live up to that big tag. Now. <laughs> so, Sean, for the benefit of my listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who is Sean Foley? What do you do? Ah, now this is a, I love this question. It's something I ask uh, my clients a great deal. And usually the answers are uh, what activities we engage in, uh, where we live in the world uh, and, uh, and what our sort of passion is and, and vision of the future. Um, very few people will say that who they really are. And I would say that I'm a seeker. I'm looking for growth. I'm looking for opportunities to contribute. And I'm looking for ways that I can really make a significant difference in the world. Um, the activities that help me do that is I'm Sean the EQ Commando. Uh, two phrases that 
really, on the face of it, don't seem to go together. EQ for emotional intelligence and commando as a Royal Marines commando uh, military service. Um, however, I would disagree. I would say that uh, to be able to enter and get through the Royal Marines training and to become a commando and to go out and do what they do, you actually really do need a great deal of emotional intelligence and, and resilience. So that's what I do for a living right now. I work with uh, a wide range of clients from industry, uh, in the corporate sector, it's at C-suite level, uh, all the way through to uh, Premier League footballers and high perform other high-performance athletes. And also like to do some give back work to uh, for free for young people who uh, are coming to difficult transition times in their lives or have had difficult experiences. Um, and what I really do is I help people to understand, embrace and learn what emotional intelligence and emotional resilience really is, and then to incorporate it into their lives, usually along the lines of leadership leadership of self and then leadership of others brilliant fantastic answer love that <laughs> i'd like to go back a bit sean and just ask mm. you what led you into what you were doing can you can you share a little bit of your journey to to where you are today oh well uh, thank you for asking this it's the uh, you know everyone has a story right? mm. and as we do our our coaching, um, the story is not important. It's who they've become, what choices they've made, what decisions they've made, that, that they've made based on the story that they've been telling themselves. However, I think it's quite important for people to understand uh, and know a little bit of the backstory of how someone gets to where they get to. So my backstory is that I was, um, it started <laughs> suddenly when I was 20 and I became a Royal Marines commando. Um, it sounds like there was absolutely nothing before I was suddenly born a commando. I had a, a, a service life. My father was in the RAF and so we traveled around uh, with that and it clearly had some influence on me. And I decided having met two people in particular uh, in about 1983 and a half, when Her Majesty's ship Fearless, that had been in the South Atlantic, the Falkland Islands campaign, the ship went on a world tour and pulled into Cyprus, which is where we were living at the time. Um, sounds very glamorous. Uh, I met two people. Uh, one was a Royal Marines officer and the other was a, uh, a naval officer who'd both been in the campaign. Uh, the Royal Marines officer had a... Uh, what we call a hairy shirt on, which was, if you can think, Hessian sack, sack cloth. <laughs> that was the style. And they both decided that on, on meeting me, the children of the service personnel on Akrotiri Air Force Base in Cyprus were invited to the wardroom on board ship for a family's day. I come along and you know, have a have a, a bite to eat and see what we do and, you know, flying the flag kind of thing. And they had a little bit of a cocktail party later in the evening of which I was of age to go. 
think I was 17 and a half, something like that. And these two guys decided to take me under their wing and introduce me to the thing called Black Russians, which I never (laughs) yet. So the rest of the story, you know where this goes. (laughs) However, I was so super impressed um, before things got a bit hazy. that uh, I decided, ooh, I think I'll go and have a go at that. And that was literally the way it went. But it didn't happen for a number of years. I didn't join till I was 20. I decide, I believe the, the marketing slogan of 99.9% need not apply, <laughs> uh, which in today's environment probably wouldn't go down very well. However, back in the day, it was all around, do you want to be that tiny percentage? And that hooked me. So I joined the Royal Marines, I went through Royal Marines training and then spent the next uh, eight years uh, traveling the, the globe. And as far as I'm concerned, having great fun in difficult environments from winter, desert, and to mountains, uh, just, just great fun. Uh, it, it's difficult in the telling because there was so much involved in it. And my favorite uh, area of work was the jungle because you really, really had to have your... Um, everything in the same sock, <laughs> to coin a phrase without stating it. Um, and, and it's a very, very difficult place to, to work. So in those environments, you have leadership. You have leadership of self. You have leadership of others. At every single stage of every operation, there is someone in a rank structure above, beside, or below you in rank, who is looking to you or you are looking to them for leadership. And I worked with some fantastic people. I also sadly worked with a few morons who made life really very, very difficult and more dangerous. And I guess that's really where the first seed was sown about my desire to change leaders and develop leaders and grow better leaders because if you can get what I consider to be morons within such a high performing environment then in the rest of the world clearly there's going to be even more Mm. and that was a catalyst for when I was leaving the marines although I didn't know it at the time subconsciously there was a desire to make teams better because I'd come from operating in small teams around the world. And in wanting to make teams better, you had to work with leadership because you can't have the leader sat somewhere else when he's sent a team off to go and do team building for the day. Um, And so when I left the Corps, I decided I'd I'd grown up. (laughs) I'd had enough. And I'd grown up. I left the Corps and I opened a, I started an organization called Activate Scotland, which was a event management, team building, and then latterly a little bit of uh, developmental training. But ultimately, I, I, I stuck to what I'd learned in the Marines was how to organize, engage, and drive small teams to achieve even better results than they're currently doing. 
And so it was fairly, as I look back, it was fairly ham-fisted, if, if, if I can use that phrase. It's fairly ham-fisted in that what I had learned in the Marines in training was they'd set you a challenge, which was pretty much unachievable. <laughs> but that was part of your learning and development. <laughs> so you keep going no matter what. Uh, you utilize everything. So I would put together team tasks. I, I remember the first, the first task, uh, an event was for a company back in the day called, I think they became Diageo uh, Drinks Company up in yeah. Scotland. And I was working for another company called Why Not, who had engaged my services to do fun team building tasks. And so these about 400 clients, 500 clients were descending on this glen in Scotland uh, for the weekend. And uh, I put a number of activities together. And it was from there I thought, hmm, so I'm building these activities for someone else who's getting the big gig. I know. <laughs> I think I'll just do that myself. Thank you. And so Activate Scotland uh, arrived. Um, but what I noticed through the team building is there was something, there was something always missing or lacking. Now, you know, that's probably life is a mirror. So that's probably a reflection of what I was really looking to achieve in the world. Um, but what I noticed, what I noticed was the team activities and tasks were great. There was a one day uh, event people would come for, they'd do it, they'd have some great feedback, and then no follow up. Where's the development? Where's the continuing growth? Where's the you know, what is it? Have we now just ticked the box? So I drove harder and harder for the, about the next 12 years. And this kind of links back to what we touched on earlier, uh, Sylvia, about the, uh, the attitude of, of Royal Marines is, you know, just crack on. Well, I was just cracking on and I was doing it for, as I say, 12 years and growing the business whilst also trying to make a difference in teams and leadership. And we worked with PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, Shell, BP, um, and then in 2008, and I'll come to that in a minute, uh, one of my key clients was Royal Bank of Scotland. Uh, so that was a challenging year all around. Um, but I'll come back to that in a little bit. So whilst making differences in these really large organizations, the differences that I was making was, was, was minuscule and it seemed ineffective and, and not long lasting. And what I started to notice was the teams were keen, but the leadership was less so. And it, it struck me that the leadership seemed to be afraid of being vulnerable, uh, not knowing the answer. You know, in this, this hierarchical organization where, hey, the boss has been around so long that they know all the answers. I'm going, that's not the experience that I've had in the Marines. You know, usually the boss is fairly clueless. He's, you know, he's just come out of training. He's come to, to work with you. And what he needs is a brilliant team so that when he's done his 18-month stint with us, he gets his promotion. Right? So the boss that comes in knowing it all, brand new and shiny out of the box, and I've got all the answers, follow me, men, uh, they don't last very long. But I was now seeing this sort of thing in large organizations, 
And they were being promoted, even though they weren't really effective for the team. And so I'm sensing that that was the first time I was thinking there's got to be more. There's got to be another way. There's got to be something else, you know, something deeper, better development. And and I, I knew that when our, in the Marines, when our bosses changed, the team changed. So you could have one team that's performing really, really high with this boss and you've got this other team over here and they're not performing that well. Now, all the Marines within the team have been through the same training. They've all got the same energy, vitality, attitude or similar at least. They all want to be these warriors. They all want to do these things. So why is, why is one troop less effective than another? And that eventually, the penny dropped with me many years later, I've got to say, <laughs> uh, it dropped with me that it comes down to leadership. Because if every team has got the same capacity, capability, they're well-resourced, uh, they have the vision and they know the values to make their decisions by. And hopefully you can see the, the things I'm dropping in here that I've learned that I'm now bringing into the work that I, I do now. Um, if, if, they do, if they all have that, then there can only be one other area, and that's the leadership. And so over the years, that started to just, yeah, I'm a slow learner, Sylvia. <laughs> but it, you know, it eventually started to sink in that that's where I needed to do my what I consider to be my greatest work but I didn't know what that was and what that looked like back in the day so Activate Scotland worked really really well and was growing for about 12 years I had a team of 10 people uh, when I say a team of 10 people one of the responsibilities I'd subconsciously taken on myself was mouths to feed mortgages to pay now they were human beings uh they were my team and we were a team however my leadership on reflection left quite a lot to be desired except i think in one area and that is connected with the 2008 financial crisis so my leadership style was very hands-on, uh, very communicative, um, open to get everybody's input. And then I would make the final decision. And I thought that worked pretty well, frankly. Um, and it sort of did. The challenge was that whilst I was being hands-on, I was also trying to run a business, um, trying, I had, we had a, um, my wife and I had three children under five uh, and we moved location three times in three years. So there was an awful lot of pressure going on as I was growing this business. Um, I was coming up with ideas for activities. I was doing risk assessments. And then as I was building the team, I was training each member of the team to take over a particular part of the organization. But at the same time, I wasn't looking after myself. And I mean, psychologically and emotionally. 
mm. and eventually physically. So I went, hmm, okay. And then the world took the decision away from me. In 2008, as you know, the financial crisis hit. Yeah. My biggest, our biggest client at the time was Royal Bank of Scotland. And in the space of four months, we as a company of 10 went from very healthy in the black to red to dead. And that was absolutely devastating. And I really had to dig deep in my leadership, my leadership experience and knowledge at the time. Um, it was supremely difficult. But something I realized was my heart was no longer in the game. My head was driving everything. The idea was we were supposed to have sold up the business over an 18-month plan and moved to New Zealand, start a new life, do something different. Financial crisis happened, took everything away, and I wanted it to do that because I had been just cracking on. I'd been pushing on and pushing on and not looking after myself, and I was starting to make bad decisions, bad decisions for me, for my family, for my business. So actually, with years of hindsight, it was a bit of a blessing in disguise. Hmm. But something else had happened just prior to that financial crisis. I'd gone on a Tony Robbins Life Mastery course. Okay. <laughs> so things just don't happen on their own, do they? No. All, all these interconnections. Um, and through that process, that's where I first learned about fasting and detoxing, eliminating toxins and uh, colonics and uh, rushing, bouncing, five rhythms dance, the whole works. It was fabulous. And the way that actually came about was the year before, I think, 2006. So I went on the course in 2007. Uh, Tony Robbins was coming to the St. Andrew's Bay Golf Resort and Spa in Scotland, which was a new venue, a Fairmont venue, five-star kind of place. And I was delivering events there and delivering events for them. And they needed an opening, uh, a small opening event for nine 100 people week-long events over the summer. And so the bit that I was involved in in 2006 was the high ropes piece where you build a, a ropes course there. The clients on their first day climb up this 40 foot sort of ladder or pole uh, and then jump off the top, hitting a, a nominal marker uh, to leave all their rubbish behind them and leap into a new life. It's a great metaphor. Uh, yeah. It's also challenging. Now, yes, the ropes and helmets and pulleys and all that safety stuff involved. Um, so I built something like that within this giant atrium inside in the uh, St. Andrews Bay uh, Hotel. And I thought these guys were all crazy. A hundred people had turned up, paid five grand a pot just to do the call. 
um, with no food, just waters and juices. It was a complete cleanse. Okay. It was an absolute week of uh, 10 hours a day working with Tony Robbins. And even more impressive, it was what they called a TNT event. Tony not there. He was, he was in uh, his home in Hawaii. Most of it had been pre-recorded. We were in an auditorium within the hotel, big screen, full speakers, you know, big cinema sketch. And there were eight team members from the Tony organization. And Tony was on the screen. Wow. And I thought, wow, <laughs> blimey, yeah. Tony there. How to turn, had a master of turning a negative into a positive mm. by calling it a TNT. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> We don't have to crane our necks to look up at him, you know. <laughs> um, however, uh, I really thought everyone was a little bit crazy. Uh, we ran the nine events. We ran the nine, the, the opening pieces of, of the, the nine events. And that was 2006. By 2007, the pressure and stress of building this organization was really starting to get to me. And I negotiated as part of the, the 2007 program of nine events, 100 people at each event. I negotiated a couple of places on the last course. One was for me and one was for whoever else. So I realized that I needed to drink the Kool-Aid, learn what was going on in these, this, this Life Mastery program, get involved because I'd arrived at this super high stress i'd arrived at my burnout space mm. and i needed help i needed to reach out and, and get support and so i did the last course and on that program i cried i detoxed worked 10 12 hours a day easy with no food uh, but plenty of oils and wheat grasses and 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 waters and lots of tony uh, lots of work to, to, to do and complete, lots of warrior, sovereign, internal work about who you are in the world, uh, lots of five rhythms dancing, which totally blew me uh, away. Um, and at the end of that week, I'd lost about seven kilograms. Uh, I decided I was going raw food uh, and that I would be driving the business for the next 18 months to sell and to, to, to move to New Zealand. And so I was powerful, centered, clear, and ready to go and drove on until the financial crisis hit. Okay, wow. And then, then it all went away. Hell <laughs> <laughs> of a story, wow. <laughs> well, the, the final piece of that is a learning about the leadership. Mm. emotionally intelligent leadership mm. uh, as the business was was collapsing and we lost about three hundred thousand pounds worth of business in six weeks seven weeks uh, and that just you know yeah. just uh, uh, it's difficult to explain my accountant said you need to fire everybody get rid of everybody cut you know standard bean stealer and bean counter as far as i'm concerned I love accountants, honestly. Not understanding the 
the gravity, but only seeing it through the lens of money. Mm. This equals this equals that. Get rid of that. Get rid of that. Get rid of that. They're all your costs, and you might just survive. And I made a decision in the moment as I was listening to him that that's nothing. I, I could not do that. I couldn't just turn around and summarily fire everybody and just, that's it, done. And now we'll go, we'll, we'll reset, we'll go back. And it was through that process that I was really, really struggling. And to my point earlier, I realized that I wanted it all to go away. I'd, okay. you know, I'd had, I'd had like a, f- a super fast version of what I'd had for the previous 11 years all happen in a couple of months. Yeah. Even after the Tony Robbins program, you know, it was still just too much for me to to handle, you know, on looking back. Um, And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give everybody two months salary. Because if I'm going down, I'm going down big. (laughs) You know, if I'm going to, the company was going to liquidate. I'd made that decision. If it was that bad, this was happening. The world was different. All of those things. I'm going to liquidate and, you know, the banks are suffering. Well, they can suffer a little bit more. It's a big firm and they print money. So before I liquidated, I just said, no, I brought everybody in and I said, you have one month where you will be paid for two months and you will have that month to go and find yourself another role. I will write whatever references, recommendations you want. That this ship is sinking and you guys and I had people on the team who said they'd work for nothing oh wow and it really really it cut deep because I'd already I was already out of the game mm. so I couldn't take them up on their offer I felt I felt brilliant that there was a, the offer there and devastated that my decision had been made and I was already going because I needed to look after my own mental and emotional mm. state. And, uh, and so that's what happened. Um, we, uh, we liquidated. Um, the guys went off and did their thing, got relocated. One person I'm still very much in touch with. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a, a very interesting part. But what I learned for me was having empathy for other people's lives, position, that they were doing everything in their control for it not to happen, as I was, mostly. That's the difference between the, excuse me, the outward delivery and saying yes we're doing this and internally not being there yeah but at least outwardly trying to go this direction they were doing everything they could to help and support um and yet it it had to happen and i i learned that in understanding where they're coming from i can make an easy decision which yes it's financial sadly that's pretty much how the world works I could gift them time and money in order to be able to reestablish themselves without 
losing a house or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were going to lose the, the, the role that they clearly seem to love. <laughs> so I must have been doing something right uh, through that process. Mm-hmm. But that real having empathy for others is an absolute key piece. And so as you, hopefully, as you can hear, the seeds were being planted along the way of on my journey to choosing to be the EQ commando. Yes. And, and I'm now bringing, you know, that's about half the story. I'm now bringing uh, the, the lessons learned and the experience over the last 30 years to bear uh, with my clients who, to be frank, human beings have the same challenges uh, no matter what activity they're involved in, mm. uh, you know, they have very, very similar challenges. Um, and it, it really is about, in my opinion, it's about feeling safe, feeling as if people belong and feeling like they matter. And this was something that was starting to germinate in me uh, on the loss of, of Activate. But my journey got a bit, <laughs> well, didn't go in the direction I thought it was going to go again. That's uh, like, Sean. Year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I had before, this you, ne- before we move on to that, Sean, uh, you know, there must have been some huge lessons from that time. You know, what were the, what were the biggest things you learned, you know, mainly about yourself from that period? Because, you know, you've gone from you know, having an incredibly successful business with a really healthy turnover to suddenly, you know, faced with, with bankruptcy. You know, what, what was going on for you and what did you learn about you from that experience? Hmm. There are a number of things I learned on different levels. Um, I'll sort of do them, I think, in reverse order. I learned that I had the capacity for empathy for others which I actually didn't think I had. Okay. Even with the, the, okay, so that's not, it's not entirely true. I've always been able to have, this is a reference back to the Marines. I've had empathy for my brother Marines. Now there's something in there about a judgment around how capable, confident they are as human beings. Mm. having been through that that system. And that must go back to the 99.9% need not apply. So there's something about an elitism in there. And I've always been able to have empathy for my, what we call brothers. What I struggled with was empathy for pretty much anyone else. And it was a case of, you know, just get on with it. You know, what are you dripping about? What's the problem? You know, your life is not that difficult. So there's loads of judgments and, and attitude going on. But I realized in the moment of collapse of a business and uh, having a team in front of you that I really had a depth of empathy, that all I really needed to do was stop doing everything else and start being that person. That was critical, being, not the doing. Because mm. for most of my life, is I've been doing, doing, doing. So as the business was growing, as I touched on earlier, what was, who was I being? I was being the guy who did everything, mm. who trained the team, who 
did, did, just did, 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 instead of being the guy that empowers the team to bring their brilliance out. So there was a real, in, in the empathy piece, in learning about empathy, I also understood that I didn't have to do everything. I had to just be more. That makes sense. It does. It totally makes sense. <laughs> I get that. And it wasn't all plain sailing from that time, was it? You had a bit of a, um, uh, another challenge in 2011, <laughs> didn't you? Do you want to tell us just a little bit about oh, that, John? Yeah, I'll do a, a quick gallop. Um, on the Tony Robbins course, I, I met a, a very good friend called Paul Brown. He's since become a very good friend. Um, and the, 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 dit, the, the little story around that is that um, I met Paul on one of the courses and Paul uh, had a fear of heights. And when we did the opening gambit, he didn't, he didn't make the grade as he, as he put it. So judging himself harshly and cut a long story short, uh, we were on the, the same course and he said, is there any chance that I could have a rerun? And my immediate reaction was no, mate, it's a one hit wonder. You know, that's the, the purpose of it is it's there. It's your challenge. You don't get a rerun. Uh, and uh, he talked me around, which was great, <laughs> which says something about who he is as a human being, uh, very engaging uh, and also a wonderful leader, in my opinion. So uh, I gave him an opportunity in lunch break. Be here at this time and then I'll get you up there and you'll do all the work. He went, right, no worries. And he was an Australian from the Gold Coast. So he was big up for it. Uh, and his background was health and fitness. Okay. Uh, so he was in good shape and he was on a, a learning journey as well. So I took him out, got him on the poles, uh, talked him up the poles, uh, got him to stand on top of this pole. It's only about this big at the top, uh, two feet on there. So you're teetering. And he jumped off, uh, achieved his, his, his aim. So sometime later, when I was wondering what the hell I was going to do, note that phrase what the hell I was going to do in order to move forward. Uh, he came to mind. He had a global health and fitness business called Face-to-Face uh, -face Retention, about how clubs, health and fitness clubs can retain their clients for longer than 42 days, which is the average when okay. they sign up. You know? So uh, I said to him, right, Paul, you, uh, you made some statements on the course and on the program, um, and you looked me in the eye and you said, if ever I needed anything said well I need something uh, I need an outlet I need uh, direction I need support I need something can I come and work with you for a bit <laughs> can I come and work with you for a little bit <laughs> yes <laughs> the job so, <laughs> yeah give the job and I, I headed off to uh, to the states uh, ended up working with Paul in the states for about three months and then further to that uh, another couple of other opportunities in the next couple of months so a total of about five months working with Paul everywhere from uh, Sao Paulo in Brazil uh, to uh, Utah in the States out to Kuwait where I had been in the Marines in the 90s so it was <laughs> kind of surreal going back there and then Paul gave me an agency for the Middle East so he's got this global business and he said, so here's my gift. Have the agency make of it what you will. So 
I discussed it with, uh, with my wife, Leslie, and said, come on, let's go to Cyprus. So you think Middle East, the whole Mediterranean piece, uh, maybe into Turkey. There's opportunity in all of this area for uh, these, this retention program. And so we packed up our bags, uh, my wife and three kids. We sold everything. We um, gave stuff away, loads of stuff away, excuse me. And we decided that we would burn the bridges. So everything was sold, given away, donated, whatever it was. And we left the country and flew to a new life in Cyprus uh, where we didn't even have any accommodation. We just uh, booked a hotel for a couple of weeks until we sorted everything out. So we upsticked and legged it. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. <laughs> I was waiting for that, Sean. <laughs> However, um, also, you know, taking massive action and being committed to an outcome is also very important. And I don't think you can get more committed than an upsticks family move to a new life. Absolutely. Um, and and so so we were in Cyprus. And for those of you who've lived through the 2008 all the way through 2011 and onwards, you'll kind of have an idea of what's coming. So for the next three years, um, for the first year, I worked on building uh, a basis of a business within Cyprus, uh, looking in, into Greece, uh, into the Middle East, and starting to generate uh, interest in the face-to-face -face retention program. I very quickly realized that I had not done any healing from the loss of my own business. Uh, and again, to cut a, what can be a very long story short, I went through a lot of angst in order to arrive at a position for a number of reasons. And I'll tell you the position in just a sec. But in engaging with various clubs around the island and uh, in other countries, there was very much an energy of, yes, come on in, show us your wares, and then we're just going to steal it and make our own version. And so I came across that a couple of times and then a few more times. And it seemed to be I was chasing payments all the time as opposed to delivering great business value and what have you. Um, the phrase was come and we'll have a coffee and talk about it. And nothing was ever resolved. I later found out why that was. There's a different energy, a different way of doing business, yada, yada. So I didn't do business that way. And plus, I was still recovering from the loss of the business. And so, sadly, I wrote an enormously long email, like a 10-pager equivalent, uh, to my friend Paul, stating all the reasons why, all the, 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 the challenges and difficulties, which may have seemed like a bit of a bleating letter, but realistically, he read through the, the between the lines, and he realized that my heart wasn't in it. Mm. Um, I hadn't healed. Uh, I was not ready to work for someone else, having run my own business for, for that long, um, even as an agency. And his response was, honestly, mate, if you made it, brilliant. It's no skin off my nose. You haven't cost me anything. It was an opportunity to grow a business uh, where there was none. Mm. So 
no hard feelings, no problems. So that was brilliant. I went on uh, again. I looked for what else I could now do. <laughs> uh, I worked in some of the clubs doing commando CrossFit. Uh, I set up a, a, a business doing that. Six o'clock in the morning on the beach with clients, six o'clock in the evening on the beach with clients. And I basically uh, blagged it and uh, did commando fitness training. Mm. Uh, I trained young men to go into their uh, uh, Cypriot Special Forces, the, the OIC, they call them, E-O-K, um, and uh, trained, uh, walked overweight women along the beach carrying bottles of water. So I did anything and everything in order to make ends meet. Um, I also put a, at the same time in the background, uh, had another business proposition going called The Passion Man. So we've got okay. Commander CrossFit, got The Passion Man. So The Passion Man was not what most people immediately think. <laughs> uh, it's more passion about what you're passionate most about okay. in your life. Mm. Um, and so I, I set up, a, uh, I think the book at the time was The, the Secret, um, you know, manifesting into the, all of that stuff, mm. gone down that route going, yeah, let's, let's make this happen. And so what I did was put a 12-step program together on video at the time before Zoom was happening, at the time before um, video programs, uh, video courses were all the rage. Um, yes, you'd have them on DVD and, and, uh, and cassettes before that, but doing this you know, on the laptop and having it right in your, your room uh, like that hadn't been done. So I put this fabulous program together, it took longer, cost more, uh, and was harder than I ever thought it was going to be. Yet when it was finished, I had seen another uh, program deliverer, and I thought a joint venture with them would be really, really useful because they're in front of about two million odd people. They have the, the network. What they don't have is this program. Mm. So I sent them the program. Have a look at this. What do you think? JV will make a fortune. Thanks for the program. Uh, we'll review it. They reviewed it. And within about four weeks, they put out a program. It mm. was a six-step program that da-da-da-da-da. And it was pretty much all my content, all the hard work uh, out. And so... There was another very, very good learning mm. process in there. On one hand, I'd really gone with the give it to the universe, put it out there, you know, what will be will be and just believe. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, yeah, don't be naive and give all your content away for free to someone who is in the business of making money. Yeah. So uh, a, a harsh lesson. Um, and with that, there was another thing actually happened in Cyprus at the time that was a catalyst. Our money was running out. I was barely making ends meet. I was working, you know, five in the morning till midnight most days. Again, doing the doing. Mm. There's a theme here, right? People might possibly remember, but definitely people in Cyprus will remember. The financial crisis 
followed into Greece. And Greece and Cyprus are heavily connected financially. And so in 2011, early, mid-2011, uh, Yanni Varoufakis was trying to fight the Germans uh, with uh, Germany wanting to get Greece into more debt. And all of that all happened. It collapsed. Cyprus collapsed. The banks went into liquidation. It was a, a meltdown rather than not liquidation. Um, and suddenly clients money those clients that i've been working with mm. in the commando crossfit because the passion man hadn't been working i'd done a few things um suddenly the money dried up and again within the space of 10 days i lost two-thirds of my client base just like that finished uh, and that pretty much meant we were finished yeah and so we had decided we kept some money in reserve. You know that, that yeah. last ditch, at least go back to the UK where if we have to, uh, you know, we'll be on the dole, we'll get housing, all of that kind of mm. stuff. So it's the last ditch effort. So I guess we hadn't really burnt every single boat. However, something else, we were going to stay for a couple of, couple of weeks, wrap it up and, uh, and get ourselves back. But the... Uh, the power station, the main power station in Cyprus blew up. And that for me was a big, I was like, okay, <laughs> we got to go. Exactly. <laughs> so literally, we, we almost literally just packed everything, 12, back, 12 boxes, and arrived back here on the shores of the UK with nothing. And I mean, no, you know, we had maybe 200 quid in the bank, something like that. Mm. No house, no car, no prospects, no nothing. Um, and that was another low point. But what I did have, Sylvia, was I had connections in my Royal Marine friends. And so almost as soon as I landed, I had a laptop. So I opened it up, got on LinkedIn, created a profile and said, uh, connected it up with uh, lots of my former mates. And I said, right, I need to get this profile moving as quickly as possible, and I need work, right? So can I have testimonials? Will you, will you give me testimonials so that this thing, I can propagate it and look good? And I sat uh, over the next couple of days putting these testimonials in that the lad sent to me, and I was in tears. Mm. I was in tears. It was like they were talking about someone else. So I said, okay, thank you, <laughs> through tears. But one of them invited me to joined the maritime security world, which was being a, an armed security contractor on commercial vessels in the Indian Ocean fighting pirates. And we I might have to have another I podcast think we will. too <laughs> for the rest of this. Because at 45, I found myself on the bridge wing of commercial ships fighting pirates. <laughs> amazing Sean what an amazing story and and you're right we will have to have a second podcast to catch up now I know that you now run an incredibly successful business the EQ Commando and I wanted to I just wanted to ask you that question that I ask all my guests how are you now becoming more significant in the world so the realization that the world needs more emotional intelligence, more emotional resilience. And if the last 
18 months hasn't demonstrated that aptly. Uh, I don't know what has. Um, and so I was lucky enough about three years ago to pivot my business away from uh, physical presentation, uh, physical coaching in the same space to doing Zoom calls and one-to-one -one coaching. And what I'm spending most of my time doing and have done very much so over the last 18 months is doing one-to-one life-changing coaching. And really, it, it all starts with two ears, one gob. And when you use this gob, ask better questions. Mm. And so I ask better questions of my clients so that they can become more aware, that they can develop their own emotional intelligence, they can lead themselves better. And when they lead themselves, I should say when they know and lead themselves better, then they're in a better space to help others. It literally is when your cup is overflowing, mm. everyone else benefits. If you're not filled up, if you don't know yourself, you can't work yourself, if you can't lead yourself, how can you be in that position to, to help others? And the last point on that is the analogy I use is when you're in an aircraft and they do the safety brief, what do they tell you about the oxygen? Yeah. Put your own oxygen mask on. Yeah. Bang on. <laughs> Put your own mask on first and then you can help others. So that's pretty much what I do. I help people put their own mask on. Brilliant. And, you know, that's what becoming more significant is all about. It's about becoming the, the best version of yourself on all levels, spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, so that you bring the best of yourself to everything that you do. And then, as you say, that inspires and impacts on everybody that you work with, that you meet, that you live with. And then we, we create this ripple effect of significance Absolutely. around the world. You know, we touch somebody, they touch somebody else. And, and, and then that ripple effect of influence just carries on rippling. And I just think that's fabulous. And you're Absolutely. certainly doing that in your life, Sean. Now, I know people will want to get in touch with you. How can they find you? Where are you? Well, I'm on, I am on LinkedIn as uh, Sean, the EQ Commando. You can find me there. Um, that is the simplest, easiest way. I know that you'll put some notes and some, some I will. Uh, details in the notes afterwards. But uh, you can give me a call straight on my mobile if you wish. Uh, and you can also email me at Sean at eqtolead.uk. And that's the simplest way. LinkedIn, email, and give me a call. Do you, can I, shall I say the number here or just leave it for the Well, notes? we'll put it on the notes for you. All right. right. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Sean. And I always ask my guests if they've just got one last thought or quote or insight that they'd like to leave for the listeners. I'd like to leave a leadership style quote because it's all about knowing yourself, leading yourself and leading others. And if we can all remember, if we can choose to remember that there are three things that everybody is seeking on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, whether it's in family, whether it's in community, whether it's at work, in teams, wherever it is. And there are three things. First one is, am I safe? question I ask myself when I meet you, when I'm in this environment with you is, am I safe? And I don't mean just physically safe. I mean, psychologically and emotionally safe. Mm. Think about that as you interact with people. Am I safe? 
The second question is, do I belong? Is this person like me? Am I, am I safe and do I belong with all these people? Are we similar? And the last thing is, do I matter? Do I matter to the person in front of me? Do I matter right now to Sylvia? I sense I matter to Sylvia. She's asked me for the podcast. Does Sylvia matter to me? Yes. I'm here on the podcast supporting what she's delivering and driving. So safe, belong, matter. Absolutely powerful. And if you can remember that for every human being you interact with and help them to answer the question with, yes, I feel safe. Yes, I belong here. And yes, I matter. Then your leadership will be phenomenal.